Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> How y'all doing today? Oh, it's a lovely day in Martinez. The sun is shining. The Martians are the sun wandering. sun is shining and shining and shining, actually. <laughs> every, the sun shines on every dog's ass every once in a while. What's the saying? Something like that. Why is the music still playing? I don't know. Scott Scott likes to uh, get the most out of his music. He's really rocking out there. He's dancing. He's like got his G string on, things like that. Speaking of G strings and dancing, how about that conference, huh? Ah, I had a wonderful time at the conference. Mm-hmm. Really one of the, one of the best we've had, I think. Oh yeah, what uh, what what's your favorite thing about the conference? Well, uh you know, meeting so many people uh, mm-hmm. from the East Coast this time around. I mean, um, we haven't had a real East Coast conference since well, Baltimore, Baltimore, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we right. had Cleveland a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like um, a lot of the people I met were from Virginia, mm-hmm. um, New Jersey, you know, Pennsylvania, and so on, D.C. area. Um, so, you know, it was good right. to get to meet uh, a lot of new folks this year. Right. And, well, you know, and kind of... Being everyone, the biggest conference yet, yeah, we met a lot. Yeah, everyone I met, um, you know, I think, boy, just about every single one of them uh, said that they it was their first conference. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and that's the thing for me is is meeting people, uh, meeting homebrewers. I, I absolutely adore meeting homebrewers. It's yeah. I was telling somebody uh, the other day. About uh, we were talking about beer events, commercial beer events, and I said, "Well, you know, the only thing I they said, oh, you don't really care for uh, beer festivals and all that, do you?" I said, "I, I don't because of all the uh, the people that are there just to get drunk. I find that right. you know a, a bit unpleasant. But uh, the thing that makes the festivals great is the homebrewers." So there's always Definitely. there's always some people there that are homebrewers that are there because they love great beer, and they're there to you know taste all the things and you know to talk to people and all that, and that always I always uh, enjoy that. That's that's yeah. the, the great thing for me is having that that experience. So. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good stuff at club night too this year. We had mm-hmm. um, a lot of barrel aged beers that were really interesting. Mm-hmm. Some you know imperial porters I remember. Uh, Imperial Stout, some some soured beers that were really interesting. I was Did you hanging, taste a few of those? Yeah, I was hanging mainly with uh, my buds at uh, Barley Legal. Oh yeah, uh, Peter yeah. and I uh, they they took us in and uh, 
And so uh, for club night, the first thing we did was make a beeline for their booth and, and pretty much uh, didn't go 20 feet from there. We, we wandered a little bit, and I try, I remember trying a uh, – there was a mosaic uh, smash uh, uh, oh, beer yeah. that somebody made, and uh, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I kept going back and asking for, fo- for them to fill up the glass. I must have had five or six <laughs> full glasses. I felt kind of bad. You know, I was like Bogart in the beer, but they seemed to have plenty. I yeah. really enjoyed that. And uh, I had a really great – I think the the best beer of the conference for me was um, a couple of guys stopped me and they had uh, a bottle and they said, "Hey, you want to try you know Munich Dunkel?" And that's one of my favorite styles. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, "Yeah, sure, you know, I pour me some Munich Dunkel." I tell you that thing that was uh, you know a, a, a mid forties at least. Uh, nice. mid, mid-high 40s. That was really, really good. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, you got any more? They're like, uh, <laughs> you know, back in the room. I think they're trying to lure me back to the room to uh, have their uh-huh. way with me. But uh, no, I thought that that was probably the best beer of the conference for me was that that Munich Dunkel those guys shared with me. I thought that that was fantastic. And that's, you know, one of the things I love about the conference, too. You just get to yeah. get to try so many beers that so many people have, have made and, you know, meet uh, so many new people and uh and uh you know see see your old friends again uh you know old really? friends like yeah. uh john blickman from blickman engineering our our fine sponsor yeah. uh I, re- I snuck up behind him while he was in his booth talking to a group of people and and uh started giving him a massage <laughs> <laughs> i think he wasn't quite expecting that but uh i mean who else would, would he think it would be you know come on doug uh, yeah yeah, well, that or me. Uh, yeah, no, but uh, uh, it was real good seeing him there. I, I I saw a lot of people around the booth. Hopefully, you all who listen to the show uh, stopped by the Blickman booth and uh, gave him gave John uh, Blickman a personal thanks for sponsoring the show that they they have for so many years and making the show possible. And uh, if you weren't at the conference, uh, you can always go to their website, BlickmanEngineering.com, uh, Blickman with two N's, and uh, you know check out all their, their goodies there and you know, send them an email and, and tell them thanks for sponsoring the show. It absolutely is uh, read and appreciated, so uh, mm-hmm. make sure you do that if you get a chance. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of good um, booths at the, um, the expo this year. Mm-hmm. It's like the most number of vendors yet. Right, yeah, it was... It was it was big, yeah. It was the most most vendors, the most uh, attended attendees, uh, you know, because they went to a bigger and bigger space. Um, you know, I think they're going to do that uh, going forward as well. They're they're trying to accommodate more and more people at these things. And yep. you know, I've heard some people go, "Oh, you know, the conference is too big. It used to be real small and intimate. Yeah, it used to be like two hundred people." Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, for me. Um, it doesn't feel too big, you know. Uh, I think it would feel too big if you didn't feel like you could just walk up to anybody and say hi. You know, any home brewer, right. you just walk right up and say, hey, how you doing, you know? Yeah. What do you brew? Where do you live? And you can just start talking and drinking with anybody, and it's fantastic. That's that's the beauty of, of the homebrew conference. And so for that reason yeah. alone, for me, it always still feels real intimate and personal to go into the conference versus uh you know it's not like uh you know a conference where you're afraid to go talk to somebody you can talk to anybody yeah, that's right 
Yeah. Now, how about you, Scott? Yeah, I, Did you uh, enjoy the conference? Yeah, it was a great time. Um, lots of picture taking and handshaking, and it's um, it's it's cool to get that you know the little celebrity treatment kind of in the that one space. You can see how that might get old, though, for like you know a Tom Cruise who gets what you Jamil get there everywhere. Me, me and Tom Cruise, yeah, oh, absolutely. I know right? exactly yeah. what you're saying. No <laughs> difference, same person, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. no, it was great. It was a great conference, and I feel <laughs> like I I popped my NHC cherry on the best one yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't have all the, you know, the you guys are saying, well, it's so much bigger and you know, right. so many more vendors. Right. This is the only experience I have with it. So yeah. it's just awesome. Yeah, pro night, I, I walked in the door and I started heading for one of the booths. I c- couldn't reach any of the tables. I mean, it was fantastic. <laughs> I, the, the One of the big reasons I'm going, I I don't care too much about tasting the, the pro brewers night. It's to hang out with the people anyways. But, uh, boy, my hand got swollen. I mean, a lot of people shaking hard, you know. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> Which I, you know, I, I, I almost prefer that to the limp fish, you know, the, the dead fish kind of hand. Oh, that's the but, worst. But my hand got swollen really quick, and um, I had to stop after after like an hour or so. Did you fist, like, fist bump them after that? Uh, and no, no, no. I, I'm always too embarrassed to like switch the fist bump or something. Then people are like, oh, you don't want to like shake my hand? Because, you know, they come out with the, you know, the handshake to switch the fist bump, um, you know. So what did you do when they wanted to shake your hand, but your hand was swollen? Shook their hand. Oh, you did? You yeah. just sucked it up? Yeah. Oh, okay. But I mean, my hand was really sore. My arm was really sore. <laughs> I went, yeah, yeah. went back to my room. You just you gave everybody fair warning. Hey, it's swollen, but grip it anyway, huh? Right. If you had it a nickel may, for all the be, times you said that. It may be like, getting stiff. Just keep, keep rubbing. It'll go away. Did you have some beers, uh, John, that people made you try that weren't so good? Imagine there's some of that going on. Oh yeah, um, but nothing, nothing truly shocking. I mean, it was, you know, um, maybe a couple instances where people people were hoping they had a forty, and it was more of a thirty-two. You know, still decent, worth drinking. You know, but a oh, little, you know, could have fermentation could have been a little bit cooler or. I'm a little more balanced here or there. I mean, you know, nitpicking, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a lot of good beers. I had, oh, I had a real nice Berliner Weiss. I had a really nice Goose at the end of the evening. And it's like, you know, it was after last call. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, here's here's a little bit. You know, and it's like, it was really worth worth having. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those barrel-aged beers are really, really interesting. Um, but I got there late. And uh, so I was I basically ran around and got all 14 beers in the space of like 20 minutes. And uh, so I was just sipping them and, and trying to make an evaluation and go on to the next so um, we could get them evaluated in time. Huh. But, uh, you know, I love club night. And uh, it was my first chance to try a lot of East Coast beers that you know we just don't see here in California. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Overall, so, overall, a great, great time. And, uh, We'll Next year should be awesome in, uh, as well. Yeah, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, you know it's all thanks to uh, the AHA. I don't know if yeah. uh, uh, we're all members. You should uh, you should be an AHA member if you're not. Uh, they support homebrewing, support uh, things like this great conference, and uh, uh, you got to show them your love as well. Uh, you can sign up through the Brewing Network uh, site, brewingnetwork.com, and click on that link to join the AHA and. When you do a little slice, gets back to the Brewing Network as well. So you're supporting a couple of great organizations with one purchase. 
All right, let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to start doing a, a Q&A show all about yeast right after this. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the Intuitive Beer Gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant well thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The auto sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top-tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, more beer social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz, the forum, the learning center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Ah. 
What'd you get? More brewing ingredients? Yep. You know what I love about Brewmaster's Warehouse? The $6.99 shipping. Well, yeah, but... Oh, the in-store classes for beginning brewers. Yeah, that's cool, but... Oh, oh, the brew builder. Creating and saving your recipes online is... Awesome! No, I'm... Yes, but... The cheese-making supplies. No. Oh, the wine-making supplies. Oh, the distilling equipment and liquor flavorings. All that stuff is awesome, yes, but what I really love is that the guy who runs it is totally hot. And, and that brew builder software is awesome. Oh, yeah. Brewmaster's Warehouse brings you flat rate shipping on great equipment and ingredients to make beer, wine, cheese, and spirits at brewmasterswarehouse.com. And if you're in Georgia, stop by Brewmaster's Warehouse Monday through Saturday from 10 to 6. Visit brewmasterswarehouse.com today because it's totally hot. Oh, yeah. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We've got a uh, Q&A show centered around yeast questions today. And uh, Scott uh, writes, uh, I was about to order some White Labs yeast from an online store, and they suggest buying an ice pack to ship it with. This got me thinking, is an ice pack enough? I'm guessing that the package will be in transit for two days, and we'll have light insulation, small ice pack taped around. And my guess is the yeast might get shocked by the cold of being taped to an ice block, and they'll warm up over two days to ambient, which might be in the 80s or even 90s. That doesn't sound like a nice ride for Daddy's little helpers. Am I over concerned? Should I order the yeast a couple of days before I make my starter, rather than shoving it back in the fridge to cool it down again? Or is it worth the drive, the 30 miles round trip to my uh, local homebrew supply? Well, you know, it's. Um, I think I'd probably order it a couple of days ahead of time so that you could get it in the fridge and let it kind of rehibernate. What do you think? Well, uh, the the thing about uh, temperature change with yeast is um, keep in mind the yeast are always you know alive and and doing their their thing to whatever it might be to some extent, and they really don't actually hibernate, do they? Well, they don't go completely like, uh, you know, you're on the uh, the uh, intergalactic uh, starship, uh, you know, in uh, right. deep sleep. Um, you know, unless they're frozen, uh, you know, you, you, you freeze them solid, uh, you know, uh, like a Which the ice pack 80, is not uh, doing. Right. Um, but the, the thing about temperature changes are, you know, a temperature change, change that's gradual is, is not too much a trouble for a yeast. A temperature change that's rapid uh, can be quite an issue. So, um, you know, assuming that the yeast are in, a, you know, like a 35-degree fridge and then, you know, it gets put up uh, next to this uh, frozen pack, eh, you're probably okay with that. And then, um, you know, what that's going to do is keep that thing from warming up for, for at least some period of time. And the, the warming should be hopefully somewhat gradual during that time. The thing about, you know, when you get it, it's all hot. Let's say, you know, it's reached 80, 90 degrees. So you chuck it into the fridge. That in and of itself can make the yeast uh, stress and express these heat shock proteins. Okay. So, you know, any time you change the temperature of the yeast, you want to cool them down slowly or heat them up slowly. You know, the, the faster it is, the harder it is on the yeast, the more energy they spend protecting themselves. So you need to okay. be careful about that. 
what would you consider fast? Like an hour, a day? Um, it depends. Um, but, uh, you know, the oft said is like, you know, one degree an hour type of thing. So if you've got like 80, 90 degree, you put it in a 35 degree fridge or a 38 degree fridge. Uh, you know, it's going to drop over the course of, you know, an hour probably to 35. You know, it's quite stressful for the yeast. So you need to be kind of careful with that. I think, you know, if you're getting warm yeast, you might want to go ahead and, you know, toss it into some starter wort and just go ahead and make a starter with it. And then, you know, if you want to store it for a week or something like that, then slowly cool it down and, and put it in storage. Might be the, the best bet for you there. So I think, you know, you know maybe a, a little over concern. I don't know. Um, but uh, I wouldn't wait until, you know, right before brewing just because I'd be worried that, you know, it wouldn't arrive. It would arrive dead, right. you know, something like that. And then here you are, you know, unable to brew or, you know, you already started your brew and, and uh, the yeast not there. So I'd get a little better. Better get a week ahead of time and make a starter yeah, well in advance. Right. I, th- I think you should make a starter with uh, the uh, liquid yeast, anyways, with the, the tubes yeah. or the smack packs. I, I just think you know you're better off making a starter regardless. Um, you know, if you don't want to do it, you can't do it. I, I suppose. Um, the thirty mile drive round trip to your local homebrew supply around around California, thirty miles is nothing. So I mean, we would all <laughs> yeah. just like consider that local. Uh, no big deal. All right. Uh, Adam wrote, uh, I recently built my own stir plate. I used a computer fan I had lying around. The computer fan happened to have uh, blue LEDs on it. I thought it wouldn't it be cool to build the enclosure out of plexiglass. After I finished, I started to wonder if the blue light would negatively affect the yeast cells. What do you think? Could I just put a piece of black paper on top of the stir plate to be safe? Um, or would it be just fine to have the yeast in contact with the blue LED light. Well, is it, is it a blinking blue light or a steady blue light, do you suppose? <laughs> I'm assuming it's steady. Let's answer as if it's steady. How many okay. lumens are we getting? <laughs> Probably 15. 15? Oh, that's very low lumens. I think you'd be safe. Yeah. If it's if you know, if we're talking uh, many thousands of lumens, um, high intensity blue led um I, I i would think that it would should have minimal or no effect um you know the plexiglass being in the way uh would filter out any potential uv light which i don't think the leds emit anyways and then yeah, they're, they're uh, pretty narrow range and then uh, you know you get the glass you get the liquid you get all that stuff you're stirring it so it's you know nothing's really you know focused or anything like that for a long period of time and Again, I you know I was jokingly asking about lumens, but you know the higher the intensity of the light, I think you know more likely you are to have some sort of issue versus you know a soft ambient light isn't really going to cause any problems, um, but you know direct sunlight would right. would be an issue. So I think you'd be fine. I, I would be shocked if uh, if you were able to do some sort of test and show that. Uh, the LEDs were actually an issue. Yeah, I really don't think they would affect it at all. Mm-hmm. I, th- I was thinking for a little while there that if the LED was blinking, you might have some yeast pole dancing issues, but other than that... 
Then they start drinking. Yeah. A couple yeah. of them get into fights. You're <laughs> on the parking lot. One stabs another. Oh, no, that's just average Friday night for me. But uh, let's see. Uh, Michael writes, uh, what is your preferred method and procedure for harvesting yeast from a carboy? I am keeping the question short to keep things moving. Thanks, guys. Well, that's you can you can try <laughs> to keep things moving, but the train derails on this end, not on your end. Don't don't worry about it. We yeah. we're, we have problems regardless. Okay, what do you think, John? Well, what What's I usually do is um, after I've racked the beer out of the carboy, I go get some distilled water um, and uh, pour that in and swirl it around and. Um, and pour off my uh, yeast that way, and I put that in a jar and, and store it. So kind of a kind of a yeast washing uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't I don't typically ferment with a lot of trub in the fermenter, mm-hmm. um, so I usually don't have you know lots of hops to worry about mm-hmm. um, in terms of separating the yeast from, from the from the rest of the trub in the carboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I generally do is is fairly similar. I will um, usually leave, you know, half liter, liter of of beer behind, and then uh, use that to swirl the uh, carboy and swirl the yeast up and break it up free from the bottom and break up the clumps and try and get it back all into solution. And then uh, flame the the mouth of the carboy, uh, alcohol and flame it. And then uh, uh, into a sterile container. I open it with one hand, hold the uh, the lid over it to guard against dust or whatever, and then invert the carboy and put the uh, contents into the into the Nalgene bottle, the polypropylene bottle, and put the cap on. And then um, that gets chilled down, stored in the fridge. Uh, the yeast will settle out when it comes time to. Um, use the yeast i will uh usually decant off the spent beer i'll add uh, sterile uh water and i'll shake it up to break up the yeast uh the flocks into uh uh more uh smaller groups or single cells and then um if you let that settle for a little bit the very top is a thin layer of uh you know uh yeast cells yeast hulls um, other little bits that are protein and other little light bits, and you can decant those off. And then usually you have kind of a creamy layer of, of clean yeast, which is, you know, fairly large. And then you have um, a layer on the bottom, which is all your dead yeast cells, uh, hot bits, protein clumps, and and little nasty chunks that fall to the bottom. So you can... Once you've decant the the very top layer, uh, that creamy yeast layer, you can go ahead and, and pour that out into another container and go from there, or you can pitch right from that. And so that's generally how I do it. Sounds good. And yep. There you go. All right, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue with more of your yeast questions right after this. 
Hi, I'm Jason Harris, the proud owner here at Keystone Homebrew Supply. We're thrilled to be entering our 20th year of supplying this great industry. And to show you, the Brewing Network Army, how much we appreciate your support, we're offering you 10% off your first order on our website, keystonehomebrew.com. Just use coupon code BNARMY at checkout, and I'll get your order out the same day. My goal at Keystone Homebrew Supply has always been to have a complete supply of everything a brewer could want. When you place your order online or when you come into our store, it's our goal to have everything on your list and more. One aspect of KeystoneHomebrew.com that we're really excited about is the ability to fulfill customers' exact grain bills. Do you hate to wait? Keystone Homebrew Supply can get your precious yeast and hops to you within just one day if you live between Connecticut and Virginia and within two days east of the Mississippi. KeystoneHomebrew.com I'm Jason Harris and I approve this message. I-10, huh? Getting tired of that same old handcrafted beverages day after day? Are you looking for something with more diversity than your normal beer? Fellow BN Army member Michael Fairbrother, owner of Moonlight Meadery, is reviving an entire beverage category. Mead! The meads at Moonlight Meadery are all handcrafted from the finest honey on the market and are perfect for any occasion, like weddings, baby showers, or... Excuse me? Mead is not your average girly drink, mister, and Moonlight Meads can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere. Football games with the guys. Yeah. Barbecues with the guys. Yeah. Operating power tools with the guys. Yeah. Um, actually, sir, that's really dangerous. Good point, son. Next time you have something to celebrate or are just looking for a new tasting experience, pick up a bottle of mead from Moonlight Meadery. Now in 21 states, making over 60 varieties of mead from dry, semi-sweet to sweet. Break out of that craft beer low. Grab a bottle of Moonlight Mead. Can't find some? Then ask. No, make that demand some. Yeah! A vial of White Labs yeast is the key to your best beer. When you open a vial of White Labs yeast, you're giving your beer its best chance for a perfect fermentation. In addition to their already incredible variety of yeasts, White Labs is proud to announce WLP 90, San Diego's super yeast, now available year-round. WLP 90 is super clean, super fast fermenting, with low esters and has a neutral flavor and aroma profile. It's alcohol tolerant and highly flocculent. For more of the latest White Labs news, click over to whitelabs.com, where you can read reviews of yeast, learn in the lab section, and join the customer club. And if you should find yourself in San Diego, White Labs has a brand new training facility for craft brewers and home brewers alike. Whitelabs.com. Discover yeast, nutrients, enzymes, and more for commercial breweries, home brewers, and homebrew stores. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the home-brewed chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your homebrew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read 
read your way to better homebrew. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right. Yeast Q&A show here going going strong on uh, Brew Strong on a, on a lovely Wednesday afternoon. Uh, let's see here. Ernie writes, uh, I brewed a wheat beer and then fermented with Y yeast. Uh 1010, that's the wheat yeast. Uh, eight days primary, no secondary, and then into the keg. Now noticing it has a rotten egg smell. Will that smell go away? By rushing it into the keg, did I ruin this batch? The primary did finish with a good hydrometer reading, 1014. Uh, OG was 1050. I cold crashed the beer at first, then smelled the rotten eggs and brought it to room temp for four days. It's now at 33 again. What would you do? Well, I don't know. 1014 seems a little bit high for 1050. Yeah, it seems high to me. Yeah. So. Especially since most wheat beers, uh, wheat beer worts don't have a lot of, you know, crystal malts and other unfermentables in it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, what, 1008 would you? Yeah. 1010? Yeah, a couple of Play-Doh. Yeah. Two, two and a half Plato. So, chances are, I don't know. I mean, why the Y East uh, ten ten? That it, I don't typically think of that being a sulfur thrower. Do you? Well, all all yeast will um, yeah. to varying degrees, and you know, the more stressed they are, the more sulfur they're going to produce. They produce sulfur in generally uh, in response to stresses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm one thing, um, cold crash in the beer that can be stressful for, to the yeast. Yeah. And so they, yeah, would... they do tend to express a bunch of uh, compounds that they, uh, you know, would otherwise uh, may not express as much of. Mm-hmm. Um, when you cold crash, that's why you want to very slowly lower the temperature of a lager. Um, and, the other thing that uh, happens is, um, you know, sulfur is produced. If the fermentation is not very vigorous, uh, you will get more sulfur retained in the beer versus being scrubbed out by lots of carbon dioxide and lots of activity. So I would guess that, uh, you know, perhaps the initial pitch of yeast was not that healthy. I mean, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, why yeast makes an excellent product. But you want to make sure that, um, you know, even if you pop the little pack and it swells up, um, you know, how quick it swelled up, uh, it can be an indicator. But almost always it's, it's best to make a starter and have nice, vigorous, uh, healthy yeast. And then when you, uh, you know, brew your beer, you know, you get uh, better, you know, more you pitch a proper amount, get a more vigorous uh, fermentation, you get less sulfur retained in the beer. Uh, attenuates better, things like that. Yeah, that sounds good. What would you What would you do now for this beer, John? Well, um, yeah, I'd probably carbonate and vent it a couple of times if he's still, you know, if he's got a lot of CO two. Com- I mean, a, a lot of sulfur coming through in the nose. Um, having gone through the cold crash and so on, like it has, 
you know, it's there's no there's no yeast to you know do any further fermentation and uh, get those final couple points. I don't think mm-hmm. so. Probably probably this batch just um, uh, high carbonation and then uh, venting it a couple of times mm-hmm. will uh, help pull some of that out. Yeah, if it tastes all right, other than you know the sulfur, if if that if it's not sweet or under attenuated or wordy, um, then yeah, you know carbonate it and uh, purge it, carbonate and purge it, and see if you can blow off some of that sulfur, and that uh, won't get rid of all of it, but it might might improve it a bit, um, you know. And then there's my favorite technique: it's uh, dump it out in the yard and brew again. <laughs> I think uh, that's always a a fine solution. Uh, Ed O'Sullivan, he writes, uh, I had my first brew day, cleaned and sanitized everything, made a Belgian golden ale from a kit. Used a wort chiller to bring the temperature down quickly, got it to eight, 66 degrees, had an original gravity of 1082. The kit had a dry saison yeast packet, and I cast it right into the fermenter at the suggestion of the local homebrew store. 24 hours later, had great activity for Four and a half days. It's now day five and it's slowed way down. Uh, bubble every 10 to 20 seconds. I'm looking to bottle on the seventh day, but I'm concerned that maybe I should do a secondary to allow it to clean up a bit better. I know you don't condone the secondary due to contamination. This being my first run, I'm thinking that I may be overthinking it a bit. If I do bottle, how long before I try out that bad boy? <laughs> well... <laughs> certainly <laughs> well is this certainly this is yeah it's it's a lot of the things that i absolutely hate absolutely yeah. hate i hate about you know there's there's a lot of great homebrew shops out there but I tell you there's yeah. some of them that are just ah, i don't know you're killing me here um yeah. one is you know encouraging people to say look like on day seven it's done and you you know package it up well it may or may not be done at that point. It just depends on so many factors. They should teach people to, you know, recognize when the the beer is done fermenting, and you know, encourage them to wait an extra day to make sure, and then you know, uh, yeah. stuff like that. And then you know, the secondary well, it's a contamination thing, but transferring to secondary does nothing to clean up a beer. You know, there's no magic that happens. All you're doing is transferring. I mean, you're leaving something behind. But you're stirring it all up again. I, I don't know what the, the point of uh, doing that is to somehow improve the beer uh, unless you're going to let it sit for a long time. And, you know, there's no gravity reading here. So, you know what your original gravity is. Take a gravity reading and see where you're at. And that'll tell you a lot. Because if you're at, you know, 1050, uh, you're nowhere near uh, finished attenuating. If you're down in the single digits then well yeah maybe it is um and then just scattering dry yeast on top of the beer the problem with that is uh you're killing at least half the yeast half the yeast are dead now the moment you do that they fall to the bottom and they start breaking down so never a good thing for your beer um you know you always want to properly hydrate it the proper temperature proof that yeast uh, and then pitch that yeast, and you'll get closer to you know ninety percent of that yeast alive into the into the beer. So don't don't do that sprinkling the dry yeast thing on. That's that's terrible. 
Um, what else? Do you, what, what do you got to complain about, John? <laughs> I cover it all. Well, yeah. I mean, in an OG at ten eighty two. I mean, for for a single single packet. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. that's as you're saying. That's a lot of yeast stress, and then he's pitching it dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, certainly, you know, uh, a beer that strong. I would certainly let it sit for at least two weeks in the fermenter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let it attenuate, and then and then let the yeast that's there clean up uh, as well as it can. Because you know, that high in OG, um, probably you know, pretty vigorous ferment after the first right. few days. Probably a lot of byproducts to clean up. Well, so, yeah, and if you ferment out ten eighty two to uh, and that in, in four and a half days. I mean, you can. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, I, I just with a dry yeast like that, one packet, I would bet the thing is not fully attenuated yet, and that right. it is now stuck. Yeah, and um, you know, you might want to. You know, you got to test it first. You got to you got to check check what the gravity is. Check what it tastes like. And then see if it's ready for for packaging. That'll tell you whether it's ready for packaging or not. Yeah. But because uh, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to bottle it with it's got ten points of sugar left to ferment. You'll have bottle bombs. Yeah, those things will explode. So yeah, you gotta gotta be careful on that. And the thing to do is to listen back over uh, eight years of uh, the brewing network, and all your answers are in there. Uh, we've. We've covered everything at uh, at least once, if not three times. Yeah. But uh, yeah, don't uh, don't assume. Just you know, you can never say fermentation is going to be these numbers or those numbers. You gotta you gotta learn to recognize the um, you know the process and, and and the look of things as as it happens, and uh, you know learn to to determine truly whether the beer is ready or not. Yeah. Well, good luck on your second and third batches, Ed. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm sure. Who knows? You know, is making a beer on your own, it's uh, exciting stuff, and so it's always tur- turns out pretty good, uh, just for that reason. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure you enjoy it. Uh, let's see here. Mark says, um, "I'm a frequent, as in weekly brewer and homebrew club uh, board member." One particular step in the process I don't care for is creating yeast starters. A brew in 10-gallon batch is typically 1060 to 1075 gravities. I understand the importance of starters, and I always make them 4-liter starters. Since I use the same yeast strain the majority of the time, I've wondered how practical is it to maintain a yeast brink such that I can always pull enough yeast for each weekly brew? What would it take for the semi-professional homebrew setup? And if not practical for the weekly brewer how about for a brew club ah interesting questions very yeah. interesting yeah. a yeast brink would, would be i i'm not I, you know i'm not having brewed on your scale jamil i'm not sure i mean do you maintain pitchable amounts of yeast in a brink or is it simply a holding area for yeast that you pull from to make up a starter for a full-size batch. 
No, it's it's pitchable amounts. Um, for example, at Stone, they have you know thirty barrel yeast brink. You know, they collect up thirty okay. barrels of yeast and then they use it to pitch a bunch of different beers uh, from that over the course of a couple of days. Um, the, but that may be the key. There is that you're using that yeast mm-hmm. quickly, right? Um, you can. You can, uh, you know, repitch. It, it, when I was uh, home brewing, I would uh, brew every week, and uh, that allowed me to repitch quite a bit. You can, you can save yeast for a week and be fine. Uh, what I would do is, uh, you know, uh, somebody was asked a question about harvesting yeast uh, from carboys, and that's what I do. I'd collect them into uh, these uh, sterile, uh, sterilized uh, uh, polypropylene uh, bottles with uh, large mouth screw-on lids. And I'd use that as kind of my brink. And so I'd pitch from batch to batch. And you can, you'll build up a considerable amount of yeast. If you're brewing every week, um, you'll get a considerable amount of yeast that you can use to repitch uh, multiple beers. Uh, the only thing is, um, you don't want to really carry that. I mean, for Ideally, you know, a week is fine. You really don't want to start stretching out more than a week or two, um, you know, the the longer you go, the worse it is. The better it is. The the shorter the amount of time between pitches. Yeah. Um. But any bacteria that you have in that pitch, any wild yeast that you have in that pitch, and it's very difficult to ensure that you have absolutely none. Um. It keeps growing. So every beer you pitch after that, you know, you can tend to. Uh, end up with more and more bacteria and wild yeast. So you just need to be careful of that fact and, uh, you know, watch for any, any issues of contamination. And if, if so, you know, start up a new, a new pitch. But you should be able to go at least four, five, six batches without uh, making a new starter or, um, you know, getting a new pitch of yeast. If, you're, if your process is, you know, flawlessly clean and you have the proper nutrients and oxygen and all that in your in your work for each batch you pitch. Uh, in theory, you could continue forever with that one pitch of yeast and not not change that yeast out. So, uh, it is possible. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I I was kind of thinking, you know, depending on the amount of yeast in the brink, um, you know, if, if you would run into more autolysis issues than you know, say a, a single repitch, you know, kept in a beaker until mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the next batch. Yeah, you do have to ke- kind of keep, uh, you know, when you have a very large collection of yeast and there's a lot of uh, uh, pressure on the, the yeast uh, from above, uh, you know, the yeast in a cone uh, can trap a lot of heat and uh, get quite hot and you can you can run into issues there. Uh, but, you know, on the homebrew scale, you, sh- you should be okay. Um you know, uh, some brinks, they're stirred, uh, you know, things like that. They, they very slowly stir them every so often in order to uh, uh, maintain the brink and the, and the culture and keep it from overheating in certain spots. Uh, what you can do in the homebrew scale is just, uh, you know, once a day pick up that uh, uh, container of yeast to give it a little swirl and, uh, you know, put it back down. So, uh, yeah, something, something you can definitely do. Uh, well, let me tell you something else you can do. You could go check out uh, adamandeve.com, huh? I'll tell you. 
Uh, give it a swirl. Give it a swirl. You want to give something a swirl? <laughs> You're looking for that next uh, homebrew uh, uh, implement, uh, adamandeve.com. Go, go check them out. They've uh, got uh, a huge tens of thousands of uh, products of an adult nature on adamandeve.com. Uh, and for a limited time, if you go there and use the offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, uh, what you're going to get, you, you're going to get 50% off of one item, you know, almost any one item that you pick in the store. You're going to get uh, free shipping on that item. And then you're going to get a free extra gift, so essential we can't mention it on internet radio, and three free DVDs of your choosing. And this isn't just the bottom of the bin stuff. You get to choose from categories such as amateur, anal, Asian, big butts, big breasts, uh, gay, lesbian, uh, uh, dental floss user, uh, reuser, <laughs> all sorts of stuff uh, that you can you can choose from. And, uh, you know, uh, so the three free DVDs, free shipping, 50% off one item, the free extra gift, all for using the offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, at adamandeve.com. And you can even do uh, do it mobile. they got a mobile site as well, and do it from your phone, and check that out, uh, m.adamandeve.com. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll wrap up with uh, a few more yeast questions after this. BN Army, Hop Tech has a great discount waiting for you. Do you often find it difficult to find specific specialty ingredients for your homebrew recipes? Well, listen to this. Hop Tech stocks 59 different grains to choose from, 39 varieties of pellet hops, and 8 kinds of holy pops. And Hop Tech not only carries Y yeast and White Labs yeast for you, but also Fermentus 04, 5, 6, 23, 33, and T58 Belgian yeast, plus Cooper's Nottingham and Windsor yeasts. Got your recipe ready to go? Pick up some great brew gear like new long and short sleeve shirts, games, and more. HopTech's new website is being updated every day with new items. If you don't see it, call the shop. They're open six days a week. BN Army and AHA members get a 10% discount, and active military personnel get 15% off. Visit HopTech.com today for great selection, great service, and a great discount. HopTech.com. That's it. I putting hops in my beer again. What? Why? It's just too ridiculous. Insane prices, stupid contracts, high shipping costs, crappy selection. Dude, you need Nico Brew. Nico Brew will rock your f***ing face right the f*** off your f***ing skull. $5 shipping to all 50 states, plus fantastic international rates get you low prices on Nico Brew's great selection of hops and more. Whether you're a home brewer, a pro brewer, or a homebrew shop owner, Nico Brew can get you the hops you need in increments big and small, single orders, spot buys, or full contracts. And there's only one place to join the uber special secret elite bare bones club where you'll get the best deals anywhere. Holy f***ing shit! NicoBrew.com N-I-K-O-B-R-E-W Nico Brew, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Tonight is the night. We bring the creature to life, Dr. Blitzkrankstein? Yes, J.P. Gore. Everything is perfect for my next fermented creation. My daughter, the storm is too far away. We'll never have enough power to isomerize the creature's alphas. <laughs> yes, J.P. Gore, we will. For I have in my possession the Tower of Power! 
Wickman's new Tower of Power is the evolution of automation. Control hot liquor, sparge, and mash temps like a pro. The Tower of Power is a high-quality gas-fired rim system that works with your current brewing setup. With ultra-precision, the tower can hold your mash to one-half of a degree Fahrenheit. Precision and repeatability. The Tower of Power is the answer to automatic, fast ramp times. See more at BlickmanEngineering.com. Bring your next creation to life with the Tower of Power. Dr. Blickman's with the Tower of Power, you can probably give me an afternoon at the pub to enjoy a fight. Don't be silly, J.P. We have beer to brew. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for any beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone certification program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones, no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. All right, BN Army, it's trivia time. What's the only homebrew shop with over 1,000 recipe kits, $4.99 shipping on orders over 100 bucks, and is also home of the Wolf Shirt? The one and only answer is Austin Homebrew Supply. For over 20 years, they've specialized in creating recipes such as the best-selling Texas Blonde Ale, Apocalypso, Hot Bomb 2.0, and Double Chocolate Stout. And they just recently unveiled their small grain kits that produce one gallon of beer. Visit AustinHomebrew.com to browse their extensive extensive catalog of equipment and ingredients. They also have many clone recipes of your favorite commercial beers. They're the exclusive retailer of Brew Vent Yeast Fuel as well, Yeast Nutrient, and the all-new Bodybuilder. Follow Austin Homebrew Supply on Google Plus to participate in video hangouts on popular brewing topics. So visit AustinHomebrew.com today and make sure you sign up for their weekly email with news and specials. Austin Homebrew Supply, AustinHomebrew.com. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking about yeast live Q&A session. And I'll tell you what, you know, if you've got questions for for John and I and uh, you'd like to hear us answer them on the air, you can send those questions to brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. And uh, you can just uh, preface that with a Q&A. Or if you got a show idea, you know, say, hey, i got a show idea. And uh, eventually, like uh, 30 or 40 years from now, if, if people stopped now, we'd, we'd catch up and get all those questions answered. But we kind of pick and choose and and try and uh, do the best ones. Sometimes when you give us like three or four pages of a uh, question and then it's like a four-parter, uh, we probably won't be getting to that on the air. But even if it's a really good question. Uh, so... Try and break them up into uh, uh, nuggets, morsels, like the corn in the poop. Um, that's how your questions should be. Where the poop, you're the corn. Uh, keep it to nuggets. <laughs> keep it to nuggets. All right. Uh, Josh says, uh, 
with all the info, my my first grain brew uh, was a great success. Although I need to tweak my process, it's pretty close. Anyway, after geeking out pretty full on over the la- uh, full on over the last year and spending loads of money, I'm getting more involved with the yeast culturing. And I'm really interested in culturing wild yeasts. And Brett, I listened to your show on culturing, but felt it was more on pure yeast strains. Is this something which can take? I can take the same approach. Uh, are there any tips that can help with trying these wild strains? Um, yeah, you know, um, you know, Britannomyces is uh, a, a yeast. It's just another uh, strain of yeast. And um, it has every yeast has different requirements as far as nutrients and oxygen, things like that for for growth, for ideal growth. For bread, if you're trying to grow bread, it tends to be lots and lots of oxygen. Just oxygenate the holy living crap out of it, and you get more uh, growth. Um, other than that, you know, temperature and nutrients, uh, you know, you can use the same as you would for you know other yeast starters. First bacteria goes, um, temperature as well can really help. You get in the right temperature range, generally, you know, quite a warm temperature that speeds up the uh, uh, growth of uh, bacteria. So, uh, yeah. hopefully, those those will help. Any you can also, uh, you know, harvest yeast from outdoors. Um, there's. Um, the paper on that the la- at the uh, ASBC conference I was at a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. A uh, group of people, uh, f- um, brewing scientists at uh, Clemson University, were doing some wild yeast harvesting in orchards, mm-hmm. and they had uh, quite a bit of success. I think they isolated four or five strains that uh, they were able to um, ferment and and you know. Basically, grow like you would a starter, mm-hmm. and uh, isolate um, some some wild yeast strains that had some very f- pleasing fermentation characteristics. Right, uh, you know, um, there's a fine book by um, a Homeboy and Dog Meat that uh, called Yeast. That uh, it is a fine book. It, it talks about uh, that very thing. Uh, uh, Finding, selecting, and and uh, growing up uh, wild yeast strains, and uh, you know if you got an apple tree or a plum tree or something like that, any of these uh, fruit trees tend to have quite a bit of yeast that uh, are on the surface of uh, the fruit and the tree, and uh, you know you just set a bucket out there of uh, wort and uh, cover it with like a uh, cheesecloth or whatever, and you can get uh, get some stuff started through there. Um. You know, it takes some work to isolate things out, but uh, that can be a lot of fun. I think uh, we're going to do something uh, commercially there at uh, Heretic. I, I, I believe that uh, the the swamps and fields and mountains around uh, Fairfield are quite uh, <laughs> very, very Brussels-like, if you ask me. I'm just saying, uh, it reminds me a lot of being at, like being at Cantillon. And, uh, you know, we get a good breeze through there, and uh, we get the fields behind us. We get the little uh, uh, sewage canal, I mean, creek uh, going by the building. Uh, and I think um, uh, we could we could uh, harvest something. We've got these uh, louvered uh, vents on top of the building. I'm, I'm serious. So we're going to do a, 
a Fairfield uh, spontaneous fermented uh, beer, and I want to I want to see what that turns out like. You need to work on your French accent, right? We we Monsieur, I will work on that. Perfect. And finally, let's wrap it up with just one more. Eric uh, wrote uh, recently. I've been able to obtain my yeast from a local brewery. Basically, what happens is I have a sanitized pint jar that they fill with yeast, usually 1056 American Ale, from the bottom of the large fermenters that they have. By the time everything settles in the jar, the yeast makes up approximately one-third to one-half of the pint jar's volume. I know that having the proper amount of yeast is vital to the overall beer quality, which got me wondering if using this amount of yeast straight from the large fermenters is too much or too little or just right. So far, the beers I've made using this method have turned out quite nicely and have very quick and fast fermentations. But going forward, should I have any concerns about potentially pitching too much or too little yeast using this method? Well, if the beers are turning out great, then, you know, it must be the right amount of yeast. That's but, true. Uh, there's a little site called uh, MrMalty.com. There's a yeast pitching calculator on there that's free. And uh, it'll tell you how many milliliters of yeast uh, that you would use to repitch, to pitch into a uh, into another beer. So uh, that, that'll tell you. Generally, you know, a half pint uh, to a third of a pint, um, that's, you know, a fair amount of yeast. Um, you know, it just depends on a lot of other little factors. But, uh, you know, uh, something along that, you know, again, now, a beer half pint is eight fluid ounces, correct? Uh-huh. One cup. Uh-huh. Yep. Was that your sole comment on this, John? Well, you know, I could also comment that a third of a pint would be roughly six ounces then. Yes. So, yes. Three quarters to a one cup of yeast slurry. Thank you for your five gallon. Thank you for your assistance. Oh, you're <laughs> this welcome. one here, John. <clears throat> yeah, this one tackled. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's hard to tell from this email whether that's. Um, well, I guess he says it's settled in the jar. Uh, you know, that's that's still uh, you know a fair amount of yeast. Uh, generally, when I was making five gallon batches, I think you know, you're looking at uh, you know a hundred, hundred to a couple hundred mils of uh, you know yeast uh, slurry that you're looking for uh, for most most beers. The thing is, if you pitch too much, um, I mean, you may be over pitching a little bit. Um, you tend to um, not get as much growth. You tend not to get as much character. But if you're dealing with 1056 or uh, you know the uh, the American ale yeast there from from Y yeast, um, uh, you you want it fairly clean anyways. You're not really looking for a lot of ester character and all that uh, character of, of fermentation. So you can over pitch that a little little more vigorously and not run into any problems. So eh, you're probably fine just as is. You know, if you wanna if you wanna mess around with that again, mrmalty.com, dot com, check out that pitcher rate calculator. All right, another fine show. If Good you're show. if you're listening live, uh, stay tuned. We're gonna do a show on hops Q and A next, right, John? I guess so. The the music kills his uh, ability oh, to hear us, so I right. will answer for him. Yes, 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 Cretans. Uh, yeah, he's not in the studio today, unfortunately. But, uh, yes, uh, stay tuned. Listen live. Uh, we'll do the Hops Q&A. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, it's going to be about two weeks, and you'll get to hear another one. Uh, in the meantime, go to thebrewingnetwork.com. 
check out all the, the things in the store, help support uh, fine programming like this. Check out our great sponsors, BlickmanEngineering.com, Blickman with two ends, and uh, all the goodies that they have. Until then, Bruce Strong, everybody. And often. <laughs> <laughs>